Good morning, All Seasons. So good to see everybody in the house of the Lord as we jump into this second uh, part of this series. Hopefully you got the sheets in front of you and uh, that'll give you a little bit of information about what we'll be talking about here in these next few minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes of my sermon. And and we'll we'll get that get that nailed down. I better get busy because I got a I got a ways to go to cover as much as I can. Turn with me in your Bibles to Second Peter. We'll use this as our launching pad. Second Peter, chapter one, verses two through twelve. The apostle Peter is writing his last letter to the people that are uh close to him, who he's trying to mentor, who he knows I don't have long. And so as Peter writes this, he is sharing something that will launch us into what I want to say today. This is the second part of our series on how God creates champions. How God creates champions. The world is looking for champions. The world, we're just going through Olympics and what champions look like and what they have to endure. The Apostle Paul preached many times about comparing our race with, with that of an athlete, of how they train for one little prize, for one moment just to win a prize, and how we as Christians do the same thing. We train, preparing ourselves for moments that God can use us. And so it's important to know how God does this, how God makes us and prepares us and designs us. So here's what he says in Second Peter, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen to that now. He says, I want you to remember that God has already given you everything that pertains to your life that pertains to godliness, that pertains to anything that you need. So when many times we're praying, God, I need you to do this, or God, I need you to help me here. Do you understand that God has already given most of that? Pretty much when we're needing miracles, we don't really need a miracle. We just need to be transformed in our mind to understand what God has already given you. The struggle is, is that you're not transformed, not because of a miracle. You're not transformed because your mind is not being renewed in who you are. I don't see very, very many miracles. I know that sounds strange to people like, like, you don't see a lot of miracles. I mean, I believe in miracles. I've seen miracles. But listen to me very carefully. When you go to the Elijah, he saw seven that were recorded. In his whole ministry of Elisha, he saw 14. It's not about doing a miracle every single day. It's about learning to live your life every single day in a way that prepares you for your miracle. That is the key. If you don't live your life every day preparing for the miracle and understanding when that moment comes, you're ready for it, then you're going to miss some of the greatest opportunities that you were designed and built to handle. So let us read. In his divine power, giving us all things through the knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly and great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. He says, listen, if you have this, then you have the nature of God. Does God have problem with sin? 
Does God have a problem with overcoming? Does God have a... No, he said, and you are partakers of that very nature that God has. That's, that's your calling. That's your gift. It's not that you're some oddball sitting down here and God is this. God says, I have given you my nature. Listen to what verse 5 says. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. To knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Now notice how he said that. Who's going to add that to your life? Go back to verse 5 again. And tell me, I need you to tell me who, who adds it to your life. You can read Who adds it? You're not talking. You. You, yourself, and I. You add to your life virtue. You add to your life faith. You add to your life all these things that God says you need. More knowledge, God says, I'm not just going to come down one day. You haven't read anything, haven't studied anything, haven't done anything. But, man, you're just going to get super smart real fast because I'm going to zap you. No, you add knowledge. God will have to create out of knowledge wisdom. But listen to what he says. You add self-control. Bro, lot. I just can't stop. Well, you need to add that. I'm waiting for God to help me. You're going to be waiting a long time. Add virtue, knowledge. Now, go with me to verse 8. Let's go back. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is... You're just short-sighted. Even to blindness... And has what? Forgotten that he cleansed him from his old. Did you not know that when you got saved, that stuff died? Why do you keep trying to pour water on it and resurrect it? It died. It's gone. Now, you can get mad at me, but I'm just reading the Bible to you right now. Is that okay? Somebody else can tell you when we all got issues. Well, they may still have issues, but mine died. And as long as I ain't pouring no water on to keep them dead, they stay dead. And the only thing that brings them back is my blindness, my blindness, my short-sightedness. Listen, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Well, that don't even sound like nothing we hear preached very much, does it? But this is the last words that Peter preaches to his friends, his, his people. He says, I want you to know very carefully what is the truth. This is what verse 11 says. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, for what I've just shared with you, I will not be negligent to remind you always of what? These things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Don't forget them. 
God is in the champion building business. God is in the creating the overcomer. God is not into you stumbling, bumbling, fumbling along in your life. Quit blaming God for you. If you want to change you, then you decide I'm going to read and you decide I'm going to be faithful and you decide. And then when you do that, just watch how God begins to transform your life into the champion you were meant to be. You will have to turn off the TV. I hate to break it to you. You're going to have to quit doing the same dumb things you keep doing. But you'll get there. Because God says, I will not stop until I finish what I've started. Unless you cry uncle and say, don't do it no more. God will continue to make the champion that he's designed you to be. Now, we talked about creating champions. And one of the main phrases I showed to you last week, and I'll read that again. Listen, a conqueror... A conqueror is defined by the fight he's fought. And that's what we do many times is we talk about conquering. You know, I conquered this and, and help God help me conquer that. But listen to me now. Listen to how the Apostle Peter wrote this. You'll understand it better. But a champion is defined by the winner that he is. If I fall, I can't stay down. Why? Because I'm a champion. Because I'm a champion, I can't lay there. Because I'm a champion, I can't quit. We talked about the qualities of a champion. They refuse to be average. Because I'm a champion, I cannot be average. I have an incredible heart that most people don't have because I'm a champion. Because I'm a champion, I must always confront fear. Because I'm a champion, I always decide I must pay the price. Because I'm a champion, I am and will always be a finisher. It's not something I do, it's who I am. Some of you have overcome things, some of you have been victorious, but you haven't established that God has called you to be a champion. That's what Peter is trying to tell them. Do you not know that you have a champion's nature? Do you not you know you have a champion's abilities? Do you not know that everything you need as a champion has already been given to you? Do you not know that when you put on this champion attitude that you will walk ability-wise into every situation and not only in this world but the world to come? You were designed to be a champion. So to figure this out, how God does this, today we're going to deal with this one thing. How God chooses our traits. How God chooses who we are. Number one, God, when he's creating you, chooses your superhero powers. Look at that person beside and say, God chooses my superhero powers. The second thing is, God also gives me my weaknesses. See, what makes, us, what makes Marvel Comics and, and Stan Lee, who used to write all that and all the stuff so cool, was that he didn't just create these incredible characters with just powers and we just read about it. It was 
the flaws, it was their weaknesses, it was, it was all the things that they had. They, they, you could be Superman, but kryptonite stopped you. You could, you, could, you could be one type of superhero, but something. And in this, God does the same thing. God begins when he works with you to realize that I have created every single one of you with superpowers, with abilities. I saw a show yesterday and, and, and on there, you know, they're always trying to connect things in nature and stuff. And this lady and she's, she's holding this little monkey and, and he's sitting there and, 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 and somebody's scratching its back and the monkey's like, you know, back here and they scratch the back and then it goes over here. And, and the lady says, you don't even realize, but that's your lost uncle. We used to make fun of people when they said, monkey's uncle. I'll be a monkey's uncle. Anybody remember that? I grew up here now. I'll be a monkey's uncle. In other words, you are degrading. She is saying, you are scratching the back of your lost ancestor. And then it pops a sign up and says, 90% of the DNA in a monkey is the same as a human. And I just smiled and I said, 90 ain't 100. I said, it's that 10% that keeps him pointing at his back and he can't say nothing and he can't do anything and he ain't going to write a masterpiece and he's not going to produce a movie and he's not going to do anything extraordinary. It's that 10% that God said, I gave you of myself that made you different than anything else in the world. I created you after my image. I gave you superpowers I didn't give a chimpanzee. You may want to think you're a chimpanzee and think like a chimpanzee, but I hate to break it to you. I'm not one. And because of that, God says, listen, I create the traits and I create the weaknesses. Now, you got in front of you that sheet, so we need to figure this out. Let's have a little fun a little bit. I don't have time today. If I did, we, we would take this whole test. And hopefully this week you will take this test. This is the 16 character trait. It's the Myers and Briggs 16. Anybody ever took this test? Nobody's ever took this test? Few people have. The Myers and Briggs 16 qualities are types of people that you will bump into and meet. Do you even know what type of person you are? Let's just have a real quick little little thing. This won't be demonstrative. It probably won't be 100% accurate because we're, we're cutting out all the questions and cutting all those. But let's just, let's just kind of go along the way here and just look at what we have and let's uh, see if we can't just figure out you a little bit. Is that okay? All right. So where you focus your attention, or let me put it in a different way. Where you get your energy, do you get your energy from being around people as far as, as far as like, man, when I'm around people, I just, it's just like, it, it makes me feel better. It, when I'm by myself, I get depressed. When I'm by myself, I get, it's like, look, we just, I just don't want to sit around here all day. So which one of you would say, bro, when I'm, when I'm going through life, man, I, 
I just have to, I need to be around, I need to be around people. I like to be around people. I, I, I don't do good for long periods being without people. Raise your hand. Okay? Don't be ashamed. That's the way you fill up. That's the way you, you, you energize. Now, if you say, bro, Lot, I'm, I'm the other side. When, when I want to energize, when I need to energize and, and, and to regain and do all this, I, by myself. Anybody raise your hand? All right, you are either an I or an E. So, so me, I'm an I. That's the reason I tell you all the time, look, it's time for me to go away. When I tell you it's time for me to go away, it's getting too peoply for me. People make me have to spend energy. That's my personality. When I'm around people, it, it, I love people and everything, but it, it requires energy for me. My wife, she raised her hand a while ago. She's an E. She, she wants to be around people. She corrected me just the other day. She's like, why can't you be more sociable? And I'm just thinking to myself, because I'm not. I don't have the energy for it. Sitting with those people all the time just wears me out. I'm happier sitting in my truck by myself. And right now, I don't have a lot of energy, so I'm going to give you what I got, and then I'm running to the truck. Now, there are days if I, can get, if I could get three or four months off or after all the building and stuff, and I could get some time, and I could actually get my energy back, and my, my, all my batteries are full, then I can bear people a lot more than I can right now. But right now, understand... I have to conserve energy because I don't refill when I'm around people. I refill when I'm isolated and I can think inside my own head and I can reevaluate my life and I can, that's, that's me. And that may be you. There's nothing right or wrong about either one. It's, it's not that I'm better or, or, or worse. It's the fact that each one of us, some people like, look, I, I need to, it's the old saying, I used to love the John Conley song, he said, while he's taking his shoes off, she's putting hers on because she's got the Friday night blues. And I used to think about that, and I thought, well, I feel sorry for that guy. That dude's worked hard all week, and, man, he's just tired, wants to sit down be alone. And then, see, I don't think like the other person. Well, she's been there all week, and she's been bored to death, and she's ready to go out. But both of them are looking to have their batteries recharged. So there's some of you that are introverts that are married to extroverts and you're like, why don't we just stay home? We just get a pizza and sit in the house. Oh, let's go out and eat. Let's go. Let's go. And you're like, oh, does that make sense to you? Okay. You're learning some things about yourself. All right. So sensing or intuition. All right. So you know which one you are there. That's the way you take in information. People who prefer sensing tend to take in information through the five senses and focus on the here and now. They're what we call uh, reality, more realistic people. They tell me what I need to know. Tell me what, 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 give me the information. Let me make a decision. That's the right decision. Let's go. So they take in information. These people are better at school. You'll find that these people are more academic in, in that way. They're going to be much better at school, more to structured learning, more in being able to take in information, whereas, whereas a person of an in, their intuition, they're hands-on learners. Uh, people who prefer intuition tend to take on information from patterns. 
or in a big picture and focus on future possibilities. In other words, while even they're doing it, their mind is wondering. They're, they're doing one thing and they're thinking about the way it could be. So which one of you in here are more structured people? Which ones in here? Raise your hand. You, you're good at school. You didn't fail. You didn't make straight D's like I did. You, you actually listened to the teacher. Somebody said yesterday, I was talking about high school. I said, yeah, I remember some of that. I don't remember much of it, but I remember some of it. Okay, an S is a person who is structured, who learn from their seizing, and they're seeing things, and they're sensing things. Others learn intuition. They figure it out. So are you an S or are you an N? All right? This this good? I'll get back to the Bible later. Don't, don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll get called all kinds of things if I don't preach some Bible. All right, the way you make decisions now. Are you looking beside somebody and you're like, well, we are different. Well, that's good. It's good. Thinking, the way you make decisions. Some people are thinkers. People who prefer thinking tend to make decisions based on the primary, on logic and objective analysis, on cause and effect. So you can understand that if they are someone who learns by sensing, then they are also people who make decisions by what they take in, the information. So when they make decisions, it's like this is the right thing to do. And they're probably right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everything says this is the right thing to do. And they will give you looks sometimes when you don't do it that way because it's like, why are you doing that? That's dumb. They are a T. They're thinkers. Then there's some people who operate by feeling. Feeling people who prefer feeling tend to make decisions based primarily on values. And on, and on subjective evaluation of their personal centered concern. In other words, whatever my true value is, then that's, that's what I do. Okay, let me give you a scenario right now. We're, we're in a quandrum in the church, all right? We have a, a pool. A pool is awesome, right? When you give me a pool, you know what I'm thinking? Pool party. We just have fun. We just show up. We just, all right. There's a other side, a thinker. I'm a feeler. Nothing wrong with that. Man, I can imagine what fun we'd have. I can imagine. The, I, even, I even want to do a Jaws night where we have the blow up out there and you sit in a floaty and in the pool and you watch Jaws. I want to do that because that's the way I think. I think from feeling. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, that would be awesome. Then let's do it. Oh, I'm surrounded by thinkers. Now, it's very easy to look at thinkers and say, they just rain on my parade. They don't, they don't, they They just rain on your parade. Thinkers are people that are saying, whoa, now let's think realistically. Let's think of all the bad that could happen. I don't want to think about the bad. I'm thinking about all the good. No, we have to take into consideration. Somebody might fly all out of the floaty while they're watching Jaws and drown. Huh? Why would anybody do that? That'd be a dumb thing to do. We're there to watch, not, not drowned. 
So, so does this make sense to you? Anybody ever had to make decisions with people and some are thinkers? And then some of you are not thinkers. You're feelers. You're like, this just feels like the right thing to do. Which one are you? Last one. How you deal with the outer world now. See, when I'm meeting people, I have to figure this out about you when I'm meeting you. I have to listen to you talk, watch you go around. I have to figure out what kind of personality you have. Because how you talk to an extrovert is different than how you talk to an introvert. How you bring ideas to one person who is a feeler is different than how you bring ideas to a person who is a realist. You understand? And if you're just always walking around like a, like, you know, like a bulldozer, and if you don't fit me, you just get knocked out of the way, then you're going to have a, you're going to have a real rough life. So the final one is how you see the outer world. Here, some people are judging. People who prefer judging tend to like a planned and organized approach to life and want to have things settled. That's just the way it is. No need to argue about it. No, no need to talk about it. There are some things that are, that are in the world that are just, that's it. Let's take a scenario of something going on. Let's take the stimulus or whatever the government's working on right now, 3.5 trillion. Okay. There's two sides. There is the judgmental that's like, okay, that don't make, that's not going to, you can't make the numbers work. You, you can't come up with. So when they look at it, they look at it as give me a plan. This is not a legitimate plan. Therefore, I reject it. It won't work, period. Then there are the people who are perceiving. Perceivers are people who prefer perceiving tend to like a flexible and spontaneous approach to life and want to keep their opinions open. Hey, we'll just figure it out when we get there. It'll all work out. Why? Now, the crazy thing is, none of them are wrong and none of them are right. In fact, if you were to do Jesus... Jesus is all of these. That's what makes him perfect. Jesus is an E and an I. Jesus can preach to 5,000 and then at 5 o'clock in the morning be by himself in the garden. And he's happy both ways. And he's filling up both ways. The woman at the well, while he's sitting there ministering to her and the disciples come back and say, it looks like you ate something. He said, I have food you know not of. That's why he's being an extrovert. And then at the same time, his normal routine to fill up for the day is to go and be by himself. Even his disciples finally come to him and says, teach us how to pray. He is both of them. He's an S and an N. He's a T and an F. He's a J and a P. He knows which one to be at which time. And listen to me very carefully. 
God is trying to grow you to be in the image of Christ. So sometimes as you're growing, it becomes more difficult because you will feel as you're growing as a Christian more schizophrenic all the time. How do I know when someone is growing as a Christian? Very simple. I know someone is growing as a Christian when they're constantly coming to me and saying, Pastor, I just don't know what to do right here. I don't know what to do right here. And I'm thinking, now you're growing. Because in times past, your normal personality, you would have instinctively done what you always knew to do and always did. You're a P. You would have been a P. You're a J. You would have been a J. I'm always judgmental. I don't just tell me black and white. That's the way it has to be. And then when God got a hold of you, all of a sudden now it's like, well, I know what I should do, but I just don't know. I don't know. I don't want to hurt that person. Maybe I should just help them. Maybe I should just. You find yourself more schizophrenic. That's scary, ain't it? It's a whole lot easier when your world is real little and you can solve everything the way you normally think and everything works the way. But there's sometimes you have to be sensitive, then there's sometimes you have to be tough. There's sometimes you have to be an extrovert, there's sometimes you can be an introvert. It is constantly changing in the Christian life. That's why God is trying to create a champion. A champion is someone who can be, as the Apostle Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might can win a few. He says, I become everything that I can be as much as I can be to win as many as I can. Now, let's look at, if we were looking at it in the sense, did you kind of figure out what you are? A little bit, maybe? You an ENFJ? Let me just go through these real quick, and that way you can kind of figure it. Which one was I? Was I an E? Was I an I? Was I? Kind of get a one in your mind. And, All right, if you were an ENFJ, you were a dog. That's a good thing. That means normally you're going to be a teacher in life. You're going to be a sage in life, somebody who does this. They're perceptive, supportive, and optimistic people. If you were an ENFP, ENFP, then you're a dolphin. You're enthusiastic. You're creative. You're engaging. You're a champion visionary type person. How about an INFP? You're a narwhal. And I hate to break it to you, I can be an INFP. I can be several of these. So that's the bad thing. I'm, I'm bad schizophrenic. But a narwhal is a wonderful thing. He's imaginative, idealistic, compassionate. Listen, a narwhal is a dreamer. He's a healer. I can also be an INFJ, which is a seahorse. That's mystical. They're mystic. They make good counselors. They're mysterious, intuitive. They're nurturing by nature. They're kind of weird. You know, a seahorse just sits there. You like you don't play with it. It don't do anything. It's just it's like it ain't doing. No, it's doing things. You just many times can't see it. If you were an ENTJ, then you're probably a bear. They're powerful, direct, outgoing. They're more of a field marshal. They're more of a leader. 
is who they are. If you're an ENTJ, if you're an ENTP, you're a fox. They're clever, curious, quick. These people become inventors or innovators. There's the INTJ, another one of mine, the INTJ. And just know this, that the INTJ and the IN, uh, the ENTJ are the two rarest to find. There's only about 1% to 2% of people out of every 100 you meet that will be this quality. But most of them end up in ministry or end up in some type of leadership type thing. Why? Because the INTJ, which is the octopus, another wonderful, I mean, why can't I be a cool animal? An octopus. But that makes sense. He's a mastermind, a free thinker, doesn't want to be seen, doesn't like attention, doesn't like. There's the INTP. That's the owl. You can be an architect, a wizard. They are in original, they are aloof, philosophical sometimes. There's the ESFJ, which is the whale. You're a provider, a helper. I love this one. Do we have any of the ESTJs? Anybody an ESTJ? We've got an ESTJ? Yeah, I saw some fingers go up. You're, I don't even know how to describe You're a meerkat. Yeah, but listen to me now. A meerkat is, an, is, is a smaller animal, but is a powerful animal. It's a cool thing. They're confident, organized, social. They love to supervise things. And they're an enforcer. It, it, this little animal, even though it's almost like a, a, a wolverine, almost like a little badger, it's like, it's like you're not the biggest and the baddest, but your personality creates. It's cool. Then there's, there is the ISFJ. Got any of those? You're an elephant. You're a protector, a nurturer. That's your nature. You're loyal, reliable, principled. Then there's the ISTJ, which is the ant. Then there's the ESFP. This is the otter. We got any otters? ESFPs. Anybody kind of felt like that? They probably wouldn't show up today anyway. The, the otter, they're, they're performers. They're jokers. They're charming, energetic, fun-loving, not serious about much of nothing. There's the beaver, which is the ESTP. They're a promoter, adventurer. I have some of this in me. They're energetic and playful, adaptive. They're, they're constantly looking for new ground. There's the ISFP, which is the, uh, the um, pronounce it right, it's the panda. They're easygoing. Composers is, would be... A, I would love to be an ISFP. I just that, If I could choose one, that's the one. That they're spontaneous, gentle, live in the present. You ever see a panda bear? They're just like, I'm just going to eat that leaf over there. Yep, yep. Oh, I'm going to eat that leaf next. And, and that's their world. And I'm like, that has to be cool. Then there is the ISTP, which is the honeybee. They're masterful, responsive, constructive operators, realist type people. People that you want 
to put in charge of something, to run it right, to make sure it's run right, this would be this person. So I share all of that because I want you to know that in your life, these are the different people that God says, when I created you, this is how I made you. When I created you, this is how I made you. So if I am the INFP, let's just say that's who I am, and I'm, I have a lot of those qualities. Then, Pastor, tell us about yourself. Well, when I was born, I'm energized by quiet time alone. If you want to know Pastor Lot, I'm energized by the quiet time alone. I'm intuitive. I see patterns and possibilities. But I live by feelings. So I prioritize the people, and I prioritize emotions. Those are what move me. So set things bore me. I'm looking for things that involve people or emotions. I love adventure. I love travel. I love seeing something. Once I've seen something, I don't want to go back. Why would I want to go see something twice? That makes no sense to me. Anybody like that? So this is my personality. I prefer freedom and flexibility. I'm always picking with my wife. Let's just, let's just buy a, a houseboat, sell everything we got. Why? Because the perfect retirement to me is to live in something that costs the least amount and to spend all my money, whatever I have left, whatever I have, doing something new all the time. That would, be, that would be heaven to me because that's my personality. I, you, you know, I don't care what other people are doing. It's what I'm doing that matters. So I don't live through other people. I live through what I want to do next. Do you know your personality? Now you say, oh, Pastor Lot, that's not, that's not exactly you. No. Some of it is what I would want to be. Some of it's what I can't be because I become all things to all people. When I got married, part of that had to go and change. When I had three children, a lot changed. You got it, bro. A lot changed. When I bought a house, that's a monthly payment every month. Forever. You can't go nowhere. You have no extra money. Stay at the house and be happy. God, please. Things change. Anybody live in real life and you're not fitting in your real life? Welcome to reality. And out of this, God makes champions. He creates champions. Well, that's just not who I am. That's fine. God doesn't care about that. Moses told God the same thing. That's not who I am. I ain't supposed to go back and lead to... Yeah, that'd be fine, Moses. God's always looking for people that says, Peter looks at Jesus on the boat and says, Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Oh, Peter, I'm going to teach you how to be a fisher of men. You didn't hear me. Get away from me. I still cuss. Yeah, I know. 
I got issues. <laughs> I know. But I pick you. And in time to come, Peter, you'll do things you wouldn't do on your own. And you'll go places you wouldn't go normally. That's why Peter says, listen to me. My God can give you everything that you need to be successful because he's writing as an ex-fisherman that became one of the greatest apostles who's writing letters now to churches. And so in our lives, we look at this. So let's take just a minute, and I've got to hurry. Good news is I can stop where I need to and start and begin. Let's look at our three characters we were going to look at, and let's look at their personalities. Because I don't want you to think, well, Pastor, I mean, this, God does this with everybody. Let's look at the character Joseph. Joseph. We talked about Joseph last week. We're going to talk about those three again. Joseph, David, and Paul. I'm not going to read a lot of Scripture. I'm not going to read any Scripture on this. I'm just going to, just going to piece together what we know about them and what we read about them. What were they like? Well, let's look at Joseph. We know his superpowers. He, was, he had personal integrity off the charts. He was a loyal person. Whatever he did, he was loyal to. He wouldn't sleep with Potiphar's wife, even though he's a slave, and even though, you know, it's like, man, I'm just going to get what I can. No, no. He, he says, I can't do this. He, he is loyal to whoever he's attached to. He's loyal to be a friend. He has spiritual sensitivity. He, he's, he's sensitive to what God wants to do. He has this innate ability to feel that, hey, God is moving me here. God, you didn't plan this, but God planned it. He has incredible wisdom. And of course, we know his superpower, which is he can dream and be an interpreter of dreams. That's his superpower. Man, you can't fail with that. But Joseph has flaws. You know what Joseph's flaws were? You ever pick up on them? Well, let me share them with you. He was way too self-assured. Joseph was what we would call, as a young person, as a cocky little boy. Somebody needs to take him down a notch or two. In fact, his brothers do. Remember? We always like to think of his brothers as this, these bad people. Really, they just got tired of hearing his mouth. They got tired of him telling on them to their daddy all the time. Well, you know what Reuben did yesterday? I mean, he was a tattletale. He was a cocky little, little attitude. He, he was youthful pride. I mean, he had that coat and wore it all the time and made sure his brothers saw it. Not Joseph. Oh, yeah, Joseph. At the dinner table, his brothers hated him, and his daddy just shook his head. Dad, I had a dream. I dreamed everybody was going to bow down to me. Oh, boy, don't be saying that at the dinner table. See his brothers, I'm going to kill that little kid. I'm going to kill him. Well, I'm with you. Just take, name the time and the place. Y'all think that I'm, I'm like, this was the dinner table. And he didn't do it once. He came back a few months later and said, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and stars all bowed down to me, Dad. 
That's good, son. Eat your beans. <laughs> Read it. Joseph, the Bible says, he just thought on these things. He was like, son, hush. You are making your life hard. And he did. He was arrogant, self-assured, overconfident. He had every right to be because his dad treated him like he was the best. His, he was always preferred over all the other ones. He was always, you couldn't help but grow up in that environment. And God says, I need to get you to a place to where I can use you. And if I leave you right here with Jacob and that coat and your brothers and this, and you keep yapping, yapping, yapping about who you are and what you're going to be, you're never going to get there. So I got to get you on another path. So God took this personality, threw him in a pit, put him as a slave, stuck him in prison, and finally molded the man that you have. A man that later would meet his brothers again, and he doesn't look at them and say, Told y'all one day you'd bow down to me. No, and this time we have a different man who when the brothers do bow and he tells everybody to get out of the room, he breaks down and cries. And he hugs every one of them's neck and asks, are you okay? And they're like, we're sorry. Look, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God had to grow me and change me. He had to add to me. I was a one way. My personality was bent a certain way. And God says that personality can't handle what I need to do. I need to expand you. Could it be that when God gives you cancer or when God brings you through a trial or God takes you, could it be that, he's, that it's the moment you're sitting there fussing and kicking the floor and trying to tell God how it's supposed to be? Could it be that God is trying to change your personality type and teach you to see life from a different way? So that you can handle a situation maybe different than you could have before? My brother Trent, I, I love to pick on him because of this. And you have to realize that when Trent was little, Trent would get Tabitha, my sister, to call the Sonic to order his food. He was so introverted that he wouldn't even call someone on the phone and order his food. Do you think God has to put us in situations? God put him in multiple situations, put him in certain areas where he eventually had to learn to be able to do what he does today. Every one of us in this room that's grown, that's become more than what our personality type was, we will tell you it did not happen because we just grew into it. It happened because God forced us into it. God put us in situations that our personality type wouldn't have worked. And he says, you're going to have to learn to adjust. You're going to have to learn to grow. I'm not, a, I'm not an extrovert. Well, you're going to have to learn to be sometimes. Well, well, I, I'm just, I like things just, just black and white. Well, some things aren't going to be black and white. 
When your daughter comes home and says she's pregnant, it ain't going to be just black and white anymore. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Pastor, we're just going to love that baby anyway. And we just, oh, ain't quite as high-minded now. Learn to love a little deeper, a little differently. David, let me hurry. David's superpowers. He was anointed from the time he was a child to be the king. That's pretty cool. Samuel, the most powerful man in the country, comes to your house, pours the oil and says, you will be king one day. That'll stick you out in front of everybody. Not only did he, was he anointed to be king, but David had incredible faith and prayer and praise. David was an off-the-chart worshiper. That's why we write songs, I want to dance like David did. David was an incredible writer of songs, an incredible worshiper. His praise, his writing, everything. He, 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 was, he was a man after God's own heart, a man who pursued to know God better, to understand God better, to lift him up higher, to, to lift him up. David was patient and incredibly courageous. Did David have flaws? Oh, yeah. David had a personality issue that he never fixed. There are some that, because of who they are, remember I told you part of my personality is an adventurer. Of all the characters in the Bible, me and David run together as much as anybody. Doesn't mean I got to go run off with Bathsheba. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is our personalities are like. Let me show you the flaw of David. David always wanted more. That's not a bad thing. He was adventurous. Always the, 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 he, he would run toward it and not away from it. He was an adventure by nature, which God loves. But it also can become a problem in your life because sometimes, as the Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content. That's a learned trait. The Apostle Paul said, I learned to be content in whatever situation. David never learned to be content. And his entire life, it affected his family, it affected his future, it affected his children, it affected every part of his life. It made him an incredible story, an incredible king. It made him somebody who could walk down and say, I'll take on that giant, I'll whoop him. Somebody needs to whoop him, I'll do it. Hey, I have run through a troop, I have fought. One of his flaws was he always wanted more. Listen, because of this, because of this, it creates within David an emotional yo-yo. Many have said David had depression problems. Had, not so much depression problems. David, I felt, had the same thing I did, is that I had to be very careful not to focus on what I don't have. Because the moment I begin to focus on what I don't have, it creates within me not only a physical, but an emotional. Is it okay if I'm just transparent? I don't know about you. I'm just going to share me. You can say, boy, Pastor Lot's all messed up. That's fine. 
But I want you to realize that each one of us have these, and the more you understand them, the more you can learn to fight and learn to stand and learn to feel what's coming and like, ooh, can't go there. So David is this emotional. His problem didn't happen because Bathsheba was bathing. His problem happened because the Bible said at the time when kings go out to war, David chose to stay. He was bored. He was winning the battles. In fact, it records that they told him there's really no reason for you to come fight with us anymore. There's no reason for you to do. We already have encamped about this place. We're just sitting here waiting for him to surrender. That's the way battle was at that time. They would surround a castle. They would surround an area, and the people would starve to death and finally have to surrender. And he says, we have encamped about them. We've got them. Just don't. And so David, being bored and being, stays home. Not a good situation for a David. So now you see that when David looks over his banister and sees on another rooftop this lady his first thought is I want more I want more his feelings and desires have the ability to flood him. They can override it. It overrode him to such a degree that he not only slept with her, he not only got her pregnant, but when he couldn't get her husband to come home and actually sleep in the bed and sleep with her and make it look like it was his, he finally just says, I'll just have to kill him. His feelings and desire. Anybody ever seen someone with personality like this? It's like, it's like, it just, it's, it's just like, I'm, I'm going now. I'm trying to figure out a way off of it. But the more I do, the worse it gets. And you're looking at him like, just stop. I can't stop. I got to fix it. So David is this emotional yo-yo with feelings and desires that flood him. In my life, I had to be very transparent. In my life, I have to guard against that all the time. Because feelings are always rising or sinking and things are always coming and going. I'm a dreamer. I'm all these things. It's, it's, it is, let's just say you would not want to live in my head. Is that all right to say that? I wish I was more like Elise every day of my life. She could get up and go to work, do her thing, plan to do it for another 20 years. She told me yesterday, is this the way it's going to be for 20 more? I'm thinking, 20 years? Oh, God. I don't even think 20 years. I'm thinking I'm going to die before then. Why you bring up 20 years? That scared me to death. I'm like, well, you just think of going to work for 20 more years. I'm thinking, that's the last thing I want passing through my thought process. I'm thinking, how am I going to get a paddle boat? I've been wanting a paddle board. That was the most impressing thing on my mind. I need to get a paddle board, man. I need to get a paddle. Hey, we're going to be working for 20 more. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. You need to get off my cloud. You don't need to be on my cloud. You're messing up my cloud. Now, now don't get me wrong. Is David an incredible character? 
Did David, he's considered the greatest king. I mean, the guy built the city of David, created the tabernacle, stored up all the stuff for the new tabernacle, picked Solomon, told him how to get the kingdom going. I mean, he is off the charts. But at the same time, there are these two people that are wrestling through life. What God loves about David is also what sets David up for trouble all the time. David's a go-getter, and God's like, that's good. Just don't go get that. David is a, is a, a feelings guy. He's standing there in that battle, and he looks over at his brother. Somebody needs to go down there and whoop that giant. Shh, hush, he'll hear you. I don't care if he hears me. He's a feelings guy. I'll go do it. Nobody else will do it. I'll do it. Feelings gets him in great opportunities. But also feelings can create enormous moments of disadvantage. The Apostle Paul. There was nobody probably more zealous. Paul had an all or nothing. Of all the characteristics I wish I could gain from Paul, I wish I had his passion. Don't you? I mean, this guy just all or nothing. Just I've been beaten, shipwrecked, everything. It's all good, though. I don't count any of it as anything. I'm thinking, you don't count anything? I mean, you got beat marks on you. You've been stoned twice. And I ain't talking about like smoking stuff. I'm talking about like with real rocks. I mean, like they beat you to death with rocks. In fact, they beat you to death one time and they left you laying there and God raised you up and took you to the, you just went to the next city and got whooped again. I'm thinking, dude, I wish I had your passion. I can have somebody meet me at the back door and just say, I didn't really like that. And my feelings are hurt. I can't imagine the passion, the endurance that he has, the boldness that he has. He's bold and content all the same time. He's sincere in his love. He's an incredible leader, a strategist. He's sharp-minded, one of the probably six smartest people of history as far as writing. In fact, when you study, even atheists will tell you that Paul's writings are probably the most impactful writings of anyone that's ever written in the history of the world. There is no one who has written anything in the history of the world that has impacted the world more than the writings of the Apostle Paul. Think about that. And yet during this, he has poor eyesight. He's unimpressive in his appearance. He doesn't walk in like a scholar. They pick on him. They make fun of him behind his back. Well, you're kind of weak. You're kind of small. Can you see me yet? He has to warn them, don't make me angry. You don't want me to come here angry. Paul has flaws. Listen, he has a temper. This, this guy who is this incredible, passionate guy, he's constantly guarding his temper. He's like, and I pray God will make me humble before I get there. And I pray, because I can imagine him sitting there like, oh man, I'll just tell you what, that's just. He's prideful. He has a reason to be. He's highly educated. He's a debater. He's an incredible public speaker. And Paul has to decide, 
even though I have all these abilities, God says, Paul, I have put a thorn in your flesh. You just need to cut me loose. If you cut me loose, I can debate. I can, I'm telling you, I can, I, can, I can do it, God. God says, I know you can. But that's not the way we're doing it. I want you to consider everything you've ever learned as nothing. I want you to come into every city using no enticing words, no philosophy that you're going to just try to convince everybody. I want you to come into the power and the demonstration of me. And I want you just to take whatever comes. God, for this cause there was a thorn put in my flesh. So I could not do what I want to do. And I prayed three times, God, remove this thorn. Just remove this thorn from my flesh, this messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, this, this just holding me down, this not letting me do what I could do. But he said, my grace is sufficient. In fact, Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength, my superpower is made perfect when you feel weak. So, brother, why, how in the world can you, can you know these things and still, let me read some scriptures you can take home with you. And we're out of here. I've done used up all my time. Romans 12, 4 through 8. Listen to what the Bible says. So, Pastor, we talked about some of your personality and we talked about how God made you a little bit. Hopefully you'll go take the test. You can pull this online and take personality tests. Try to figure. Have some fun. Don't, don't take it so serious like, oh, no, it says right here, I need to be a dentist. No, no, don't go, don't go, don't go berserk and do crazy things. Don't quit your job. And, but learn about yourself. Learn about what makes you tick. But your superpower is always the same. Listen to what it says about your superpower. Romans 12, 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same what? Function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it for our ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, give liberally. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. See, he knows your personality type. He's not asking you to be the best him lot. He's asking you to be the best you. He's asking you to be the best you you can be. Go with me to the next scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 9-11. To another faith, the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing, the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. To another different kind of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he... Look at the person beside you and say, you know I got superpowers? I have superpowers. God can flip that switch and use it anytime He wants in my life. 
Go to the next one. Verses 27 and 28. Listen to what he says. Now you are the body of Christ and, the, and members individually. And God has appointed these to the church, first apostles, then prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then the gift of healings and helps and ad administrations and varieties of tongues. Go to the next one. I told you I'm not going to waste your time. But you can go back and look at these and really, really dig them out. Ephesians 4. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave what? Gave gifts to men. Now this is, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might feel all things. In other words, there's nothing stopping him from doing anything he wants to do. For the equipping of the saints, for he himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints to work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So you say, Pastor, why are we doing all this? Because part of my job is not to just preach and make you get goosebumps. Part of my job is to preach and to help you find how you fit in the body of Christ. To bring you into the fullness of the knowledge of God in you. That to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried. Next verse. To and fro. By every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning, craftiness, and deceitfulness plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. There's that phrase again. Grow up in all things unto him who is the head, which is Christ. In other words, Christ has it all. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to grow up to be like me. For whom the whole body jointly and knit together but that every joint supplies according to the effective working by which parts does it share. Causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. Go to 1 Peter. One more place with me. Listen to these words very carefully. This is Peter. Once again, we got back to him. Took me 25 minutes to get back, but I did. As each one has received a... Look at that person beside you and say, God has gifted you. God has gifted you. As everyone has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifest grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the, with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gave you those gifts. He gave Oprah Winfrey her gifts. He gave every person on this earth their gifts. The question is, is whether or not I will use those gifts to bring Him glory or use them to make me happy. The question is, is will I finally, as a Christian, say, God, I know this is the way I am, but grow me so that I can do more and reach more and be more than I ever have. The easiest thing for you to do is to be who you are.
the hardest thing is to be who God called you to be. But God is the one who creates champions. And God wants to create a champion in every one of you. And like the song says, He's still working on me to make me all He wants me to be. It took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun, the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. I love how patient He must be because He's still working on me. But He's working on you so that you will be a champion. At the right moment, Joseph was ready to be champion. David, at the moment when Goliath stepped out, he was ready to be Paul, when God said, now separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for Paul was ready to step out and be. See, what you're doing every day of your life, you're not creating a miracle. What you're doing every day of your life is you're training for that moment when a miracle is needed. And I can't tell you when that'll be. I can only tell you it will happen. Maybe when it's one of your kids, somebody you know, some situation. But at that moment, then the test will be, are you ready? Will you stand? Father, I know we've covered a lot of material this morning. Huh? Please, what I've said today, would you please, would you please let it settle into the hearts of your people. Hopefully from this they've received what they need. To realize that God is trying to grow a champion in me. He loves me. He's not against me, but He doesn't want to leave me where I'm at. And after 40 plus years of following you, Lord, you're still working on Tim. You're still working on me. And I'm grateful. I can be a hard case sometimes. Thank you for not giving up. Still seeing potential in me. Many times I don't see myself. And for that person that's out there right now that says, well, this is just who I am. And their life is very, very structured. They don't have any growth. God, would you let them see that, that you can reach in and make them extroverts when sometimes they feel like I'm just an introvert. You can make them passionate. Make them someone who makes decisions sometimes out of their heart instead of just being rigid, being judgmental. You're someone that can take them outside of just seeing the reality, just seeing the way it is, black and white, and give them a vision of something they can't even figure out how to work. Grow us, Lord. Because the ultimate thing is we want to bring you glory. Help us do that. As we as we add to our lives the things you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good one.